Well, good morning, family. Welcome here today. I greet you all in the name of our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. And it's my privilege to spend the rest of our time together today by preaching God's life-changing word. This morning, as we turn our attention to the word of God, I want to share a message with you that I've titled, Who is God? What has He done? And what has He promised? Who is God? What has He done? And what has He promised? Now, if you've been keeping up with the prayer and fasting so far, you would be aware by now that the main focus for our fast for this year is to know God more. It is to know God more, right? Some of our main themes for this fast are the revelation of Christ, position for more in Him, which is today's theme, to know Him more and position to hear Him more. It's all about the, the more of God, not the more of ourselves, because you see, it's not about what we can get from God. It's not about doing all these religious duties better and with more intensity so that we can attain more of Him. But rather, it's about knowing Him more so that He can reveal a specific part of His nature through this journey of life that we all go through. It's about understanding His character as we experience the circumstances and wilderness moments living this side of eternity. It's about knowing Him more so that we can be better positioned to remember who He is, what He's done, and what He's promised, instead of questioning who He is, what He's done, and what He's promised, and where He is when tribulation comes and our backs are against the wall. Amen? And church, we know that there are going to be those times in our lives. Because Jesus Himself said, in this world you will have tribulation. But be of good cheer, for I have overcome the world. And that is my hope this morning, that we would better come to know the one who has overcome. It is my hope and prayer that we would come to answer the question of, who is God, what has He done, and what has He promised? So with that brief introduction in mind, I want you to ask you to please go in your Bibles to Exodus chapter 6. And we're going to be looking at the first nine verses. You know, church, for some reason, the Lord has kept me in the Old Testament so far this year. He started me off in Genesis and specifically Exodus. And even though I've read these books a few times before, what God is really highlighting to me this time around is how similar we are to the children of Israel wandering in the wilderness and how relevant the Old Testament is for today. In going through the book of Exodus over the last few weeks, what is so apparent is that we are so similar to the Israelites, not just in their slave mentality, not just in their questioning and grumbling, but also in their amnesia. <laughs> Amen? <laughs> when you read through the different chapters, you know, you go from one chapter to the next, you would think that surely in the next chapter they would have remembered and learned from their past mistakes, their disbelief and groaning, but what you actually find is more of the same. You would expect it to be this fitting response to the miraculous works of God, but instead what you find is more faithlessness, more disbelief, more grumbling and complaining about God. Now, just in case you think that's pathetic, the fact of the matter is that we, what we see in Israel is the exact same thing we see in ourselves in our everyday lives. 
Because there's a promise that we believe, a truth to which we hold, and there's a specific way that we believe that God ought to do what He has promised to do. We believe that He should act in a certain way, and when He doesn't, we either get angry at God, or we think that He has forgotten to take care of us. We either become angry or we go into a self-pity mode. Yet in the midst of this reality of them being who they are and us being who we are, there is a statement that God makes in Exodus chapter 6 that is crucial for us in answering the question of who is God, what has He done, and what has He promised? Now before we get to that specific statement in Exodus chapter 6, I want you to turn back in your Bible to the last paragraph of chapter 5 to see the approach that Moses has towards God. Let's read it together. It says, Then Moses turned to the Lord and said, O Lord, why have you done evil to this people? Why did you ever send me? For since I came to Pharaoh to speak in your name, he has done evil to this people, and you have not delivered your people at all. Wow, right? Moses is speaking to God like this. And what's interesting here, church, is that Moses is saying that God did evil, never mind the fact that God initially says to him, hey, Moses, I'm going to send you to Pharaoh. And by the way, I'm going to harden Pharaoh's heart, and he's not going to do what you tell him to do. And all of a sudden, it happens exactly the way that God says it was going to happen, and Moses now turns around and says to God, you've done evil. Now, at this point, if you had never read the Bible before, and if you had never read the next chapter, you would probably expect God to, to come against Moses and these disobedient people and completely destroy them. But in chapter 6, that doesn't happen. Instead, God moves right along, and He makes this following statement. Let's read from verse 1. But the Lord said to Moses, Now you shall see what I will do to Pharaoh. For with a strong hand he will send them out, and with a strong hand he will drive them out of his land. God spoke to Moses and said to Moses, I am the Lord. I am the Lord. A gentle rebuke to Moses. And here comes the statement, verse 3. I appear to Abraham, to Isaac, and to Jacob as God Almighty, or as other translations say, El Shaddai, but by my name, the Lord, I did not make myself known to them. He goes on in verse 4 to say, I also established my covenant with them to give them the land of Canaan, the land in which they lived as sojourners. Moreover, I have heard the groaning of the people of Israel, whom the Egyptians hold as slaves, and I have remembered my covenant. Say therefore to the people of Israel, I am the Lord. And I will bring you out from under the burdens of the Egyptians, and I will deliver you from slavery to them, and I will redeem you with an outstretched arm and with great acts of judgment. I will take you to be my people, and I will be your God. And you shall know that I am the Lord your God, who has brought you out from under the burdens of the Egyptians. I will bring you out into the land that I swore to give to Abraham, to Isaac, and to Jacob, I will give it to you for a possession. I am the Lord. And here is the human condition. Verse 9, Moses spoke thus to the people of Israel, but they did not listen to Moses because of their broken spirit 
and harsh slavery. Now, church, the words the Lord used throughout this passage is the Hebrew word Yahweh. It is the word Yahweh. So wherever you see the words the Lord, you could just as well replace it with Yahweh. Which is interesting because the name Yahweh is used numerous times in the book of Genesis. Right? I think just over 100 times. And just in case you didn't know, Genesis comes before the book of Exodus. <laughs> as an example, in Genesis chapter 15 verse 7, God speaks to Abraham, who was not yet Abraham, and says to him, I am the Lord who brought you out from Ur of the Chaldeans to give you this land to possess. Exact same word Yahweh translated as I am the Lord. And as I said, there are numerous other times this name is used throughout the book of Genesis. And so in verse 3, where God says to Moses, I appear to Abraham, to Isaac, and to Jacob as God Almighty. But by my name, the Lord, I did not make myself known to them You've got to ask the question, what does the statement by God really mean? And what is God trying to show us here? Now, there are many theological debates as to why this could have happened. Some progressive theologians will say that maybe the name Yahweh was entered later on in the book of Genesis. And so Exodus chapter 3 verse 13 and Exodus chapter 6 verse 3 is the first reference to the words the Lord or to the word Yahweh. But if you believe in the inerrant word of God, and that every part of it is inspired by God himself, and you believe that Moses wrote the Pentateuch, which are the first five books of the Bible, then there is a greater meaning and revelation behind the statement that God makes here. Because you see, they knew the, the word Yahweh. Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob knew the name Yahweh, but, but here's what they didn't know. They didn't know and understand the meaning of Yahweh. They knew that God said, I am Yahweh, I am the Lord, but had no idea what was significant about this name. And it was only when God revealed himself specifically and theologically to Moses and explained why this name in particular was significant for him that Moses had a more fuller understanding of this term Yahweh. Because church, let me start to explain to you what this name means. It means the one who is with his creatures. The one who is constantly the same. The one that is true to his word and fulfills his promises. That's what this name means. And so what God is saying is that I am Yahweh and my actions shall be in keeping with my name. If you go to the strong concordance on the literature of interpretations of the word Yahweh, it describes the name Yahweh as the giver of existence, as the creator, as he who brings things to pass, the performer of his promises, the absolute and unchangeable one, and listen to this, the one ever coming into manifestation as the God of redemption. In other words, church, the name Yahweh means I am the God who is always the same, who always keeps my promises, and who always delivers on the covenant with my people. You see, Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob didn't understand this. Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob initially don't know who God is. They know nothing about God. But God reveals himself to them, and he says, I am Yahweh. He establishes a covenant with them, and he makes a promise. But get this, 
that don't understand that his very name means every promise I make I keep. They don't understand that his very name means I am the one that you can count on because every promise I make I keep. They don't understand that his very name is the reflection of his very character as the covenant-keeping God. And you see, church, God wasn't saying, here's the way that you can identify me as opposed to other gods. No, God was saying, I am God, and there is no other God. And my character is such that my very name suggests the righteousness of who I am and my moral law. Abraham didn't comprehend that the way that Moses would come to comprehend it. And that's what, God, that's what God means when he says, By my name, the Lord, I did not make myself known to them. They didn't comprehend the true meaning of his name. And there is a reason they would not have comprehended this name in Genesis the way that they would have comprehended it in Exodus. Why? Because ultimately this covenant is about deliverance. What does that mean? Let me give you an example. It's kind of like children who grow up in a Christian home. They grow up in a godly home. They get dedicated to the Lord at a very young age. They hear the name Jesus being mentioned all the time. They hear the name Jesus being sung out during times of worship. They even learn about Jesus and sing about him in children's church. They'll sing songs like, Jesus loves me, this I know, for the Bible tells me so. Little ones to him belong. They are weak, he is strong. Yes, Jesus loves me. Yes, Jesus loves me. Yes, Jesus loves me, for the Bible tells me so. So children grow up hearing this name, singing this name, but, but one day what happens? Their faith is no longer borrowed. Their faith is no longer secondhand. Their faith is no longer their parents' faith, but it becomes their own faith, and they come to know Jesus and not just the name of Jesus. Does that make sense, church? The Bible tells us that his name shall be called Jesus. Why? Because he will save his people. And you see, it's not until you become one of his saved people that you really understand his name. And in this context, basically what God is saying is, Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob, compared to you, Moses, and compared to what I've revealed to you and will continue to reveal to you, compared to you, they're like children who grew up in a house saying a name that they did not comprehend. However, when I do what I'm going to do in your life, when I do what I'm going to do with, in, through, and for Israel, you will know and understand my name in a way that they never could have understood. That's what he means when he makes the statement. Moses, they used my name, but you know my name. They knew of me, but you are going to know me intimately. You are going to experience the nature and character of what my name means. At church, there is such a great lesson and principle for us in this passage of Scripture that God makes to his covenantal people. He's saying to them and to us, I want you to go past the peripheral and powerless Christian life of just using my name to actually knowing the very nature of what my name means. Why? Because you need to know that as you go through your Christian life, as you face tribulation this side of eternity, as you stand between your Egyptians and your Red Sea, you need to know that my very name means I am the God who is always the same, who always keeps my promises, and who always delivers on the covenant with my people. Amen, somebody. Amen. 
This is the very nature of who I am, God is saying. And guess what? That's just scratching the surface when it comes to knowing the full extent of who I am. But that's a good starting point. So church, number one, it's really important to know who God is. Right? To search out who God is. And secondly, it's important to remember what He's done. Now church, if we are honest with each other this morning... The truth is, we can very easily fall into doubt, right? We can very easily become doubtful in our Christian walk. Why? Because when we forget who God is, that's what happens. We doubt. When we somehow forget and don't understand that despite His very nature, God is the one who keeps His promises. When we just forget the fact that by His very nature, God is sovereign and that He is in control of every single detail, we fall into doubt. Somehow, during the difficult times of our lives, we believe that there is an area that has fallen through the cracks or fallen through through God's fingers. That there is an area that has escaped God's view or that somehow God has forgotten. And the only way that we can doubt like that is if we forget who He is. Because church, when you know who He is, you know that He doesn't forget things. When you know who he is, you know that he never sleeps nor slumbers, that he's always right on time. When you know who he is, you know that help is on the way. Amen? When you understand who he is, there is no room for doubt. And again, we need to know who God is in the way that he's revealing himself. And secondly, we also need to remember what he's done. Look at verses 4 and 5 again. I also established my covenant with them to give them the land of Canaan, the land in which they lived as sojourners. Moreover, I have heard the groaning of the people of Israel, whom the Egyptians hold as slaves, and I have remembered my covenant. Does that sound familiar, church? God is reminding Moses of their first encounter where he uses those same words. Remember Exodus chapter 2? I heard, I remembered, I saw, and I knew. God is reminding Moses of what he's done. And God is reminding Moses and Israel of his covenant. And this is truly amazing because you know what this means, church? This means that God reveals himself uniquely to his covenant people. Think about that for a moment. Yes, the Bible tells us in Romans chapter 1 that what can be known about God is plain to all people. Because God has shown it to them in the things that have been made in creation, so they are without excuse. It says that. But when it comes to His covenant people, God reveals Himself in a personal and unique way. And this is not just true of Exodus chapter 6, but it's true of countless other passages in the Bible where our God, Yahweh, reveals Himself to His people in times of need in a way that they really need to know Him. Think about this scenario with Moses. In probably Moses' worst moment of doubting and questioning God on whether or not he would save and deliver his people, when Moses even says to God, why have you done evil to this people? Why did you ever send me? And when he says you have not delivered your people at all, God shows up as Yahweh. He shows up as the promise keeper. He shows up as the covenant keeper. And yes, Moses, you are full of complaints. But get this, 
I'm the God who made a covenant with Abraham, with Isaac, and with Jacob. I'm the God who promised something to these people, and I'm the God who remembered my covenant and came and got you so that my people could be delivered. Or have you forgotten why we started this conversation in the first place? Moses, I am Yahweh. And you see, church, here's the reality. God doesn't owe us anything. Amen? God doesn't owe us anything, and yet He reveals Himself to us. He has redeemed us, and He is in the process of redeeming us regardless of what it is that we're experiencing. At church, just like Moses, we need to remember that. We need to remember that truth. We need to know who God is. We need to remember what He's done. And finally, we need to recall what He has promised. Now, church, there are seven promises that God gives to His covenantal people in this passage of Scripture. Let me show you what it is. I'm going to just give it to you in, in point form. He says this, number one, I will bring you out from under the burdens of the Egyptians. Number two, I will deliver you from slavery to them. Number three, I will redeem you with an outstretched arm and with great acts of judgment. Number four, I will take you to be my people. Number five, I will be your God and you shall know that I am the Lord your God. Number six, I will bring you into the land that I swore to give to Abraham, to Isaac, and to Jacob. And finally, number seven, I will give it to you for a possession. And you know what the Lord is saying your church? The Lord is saying, I'm not just going to bring you out. I'm going to bring you in. I'm not just going to bring you out and bring you in, but I'm going to bring you out, take you as my own special people, be your God uniquely, specifically, and bring you in, out into this land that I promised. And how does he conclude the seven promises? He says, I am Yahweh. I am the Lord. So question for you this morning. Why do we doubt? Why do we doubt? We doubt because we forget who God is. Because church, if we remembered who God was, there would be no room for doubt. We doubt because we forget what He has done. Because if we remembered what God has done, if we remembered His covenant, if we remembered God's redemption, if we remembered that He is a promise keeper, again, where would there be room for doubt? And then lastly, we doubt because we forget what God has promised. We forget somehow that God is not done with us. We forget that Jesus said, I go to prepare a place for you. We forget that he's coming again to judge the living and the dead, and then he will make all things right. We forget that we will be with him for eternity. Amen? God gives all these promises to Moses. He presents him with all these facts. He tells Moses, you are going to know me better than, these, than Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob ever knew me. I'm revealing myself and my character to you in ways that they never could have comprehended. He reminds him of his covenant with his people and that Moses, by the way, I'm the God who made the covenant. Right? I'm the one who came and got you. You didn't come and get me. Moses, you were tending sheep the other side of the mountain. I came and got you. I made the bush burn. I got your attention. You didn't get mine. 
And then finally, he lists these seven promises to Moses so that Moses can now go and tell the people that this is what God is saying. And Moses comes down armed with the word of God. The prophet of God speaks the word of God to this, this powerful word of God to the people of God, reminding them of who God is, what he's done, and what he's promised. And the people of God respond in verse 9, Moses spoke thus to the people of Israel, but they did not listen to Moses because of their broken spirit and harsh slavery. You would expect a different response, right? Now, church, like I've, I've said before, we read stuff like this in the Bible, and we are just flabbergasted by their lack of faith or their lack of remembrance. I mean, why would they have to be reminded again and again of who God is? We don't quite get it. But friends, listen, let us not think so much of ourselves that we get frustrated because we have to be reminded about these things. You know why? Because that's arrogance. Sometimes we get frustrated with ourselves because we doubted again or we sinned again or because we should have been more mature than that by now. But let me read a few verses of Scripture for you just to, to settle your heart this morning. Romans chapter 15 verse 5 says, But on some points I have written to you very boldly by way of reminder because of the grace given me by God. 1 Corinthians chapter 4 verse 17 puts it this way, That is why I sent you, sent you Timothy, my beloved and faithful child in the Lord, to remind you of my ways in Christ as I teach them everywhere in every church. Reminding. 1 Corinthians chapter 15, verse 1, Now I would remind you, brothers, of the gospel I preached to you, which you received, in which you stand. And let me give you one more. 2 Peter chapter 1, verses 12 to 13 says, Therefore I intend always to remind you of these qualities, though you know them and are established in the truth that you have. I think it right as long as I am in this body to stir you up by way of reminder. Remember, remember, remember. So church, why do we need to be reminded? Why do we need to come to church and worship God? Why do we need to be reminded of the gospel through the preaching of the word? Why do you need to regularly read the word of God, pray the word of God, and sing the word of God? Why? Because we forget that faith comes by hearing and hearing by the Word of God. Because when hardness comes, when difficulties come, when tribulation comes, we need to be reminded again and again and again of who God is, what He has done, and what He's promised. And church, my prayer for all of us today, as we walk through the difficulties of our lives and our lives will be fraught with difficulties. My prayer is that, that as we face each one of them, we will ask ourselves the question, who is God, what has He done, and what has He promised? You know, Pastor, I'm struggling with something right now. It's hurting me. I don't know how to deal with it. What do I need to do? You need to ask yourself, who is God, what has He done, and what has He promised? 
Well, Pastor, I've just received some very alarming news about my health that's completely overwhelmed me. How do I face it? How do I get through this? You need to ask yourself, who is God? What has He done and what has He promised? Pastor, I've been questioning my walk with God. I don't know if I believe in Him anymore and I feel like giving up. What should I do? Christian, you need to look at yourself in the mirror. And you need to ask yourself, who is God? What has He done and what has He promised? Because Yahweh is revealing himself to you as the God who is always the same, who always keeps his promises, and who always delivers on the covenant with his people. You see, church, it's really easy to get caught up in this idea of this Christianity that makes us invincible, that makes us superhuman. It's really really easy to get caught up in this kind of Christianity that never has a bad day, or at least never admits it. It's really easy to get caught up in this automatic Christian response of I'm blessed and highly favored and never answer the question of what you are really dealing with. But the problem with that type of Christianity is that it leaves you nowhere to go in your dark days but to your darkness. That's a mythical type of Christianity. And that's why you need to be reminded that Christ died for sin once for all, the just for the unjust, in order that he might bring us back to God. You need to be reminded that because we have come to him in repentance and faith, that we are part of the covenant people of God. That we are saved. And that we are in the process of being sanctified, and we will one day be glorified. You need to be reminded, church, that Christ, who began a good work in you, is able and faithful to see it through to completion. Amen? You need to be reminded of that, Christian. You need to be reminded that no weapon formed against you will prosper. You need to be reminded that Jesus will be with you till the end of the age. He promised you that. The Lord is saying to his covenant people, I am the Lord. I am Yahweh. I am the giver of existence. I am the creator of all things. I am he who brings things to pass, the performer of his promises, the absolute and unchangeable one, and the one ever coming into manifestation as the God of redemption. I am Yahweh. Church, you and I need to remember that. When we're going through our darkest days, But when we face in moments where we just don't know how we're going to get to the next hour, never mind the next day, we need to remember who is God, what has He done, and what has He promised.